Today I welcome Chad Holton, Head of School at Glenline Norfolk School in British Columbia in Canada. In this episode, I discuss the role of the head as a Chief Marketing Officer. Living into a school motto of truth and courage in an era of 24-7 fake news, future school thinking, and the power of the IB, the International Baccalaureate. So you started off teaching band, I know that, a bit of social studies, some entrepreneurship, and then you went into enrollment marketing. Was this like a midlife crisis before you became a head, or <laughs> why did you move away from teaching and go into enrollment? You know, it's funny. I didn't actually when I when I started teaching. What happened is I was in it. It was in a small, um, a small private school, and the gentleman at the time that was the principal, um, he found out that I had a marketing degree, and so and when you're in a small school like that, and there's not a lot of resources, you know, not a lot of funding to start to hire big, you know, people to come in and run the marketing side. So he just came to me and said, "Do you have some ideas around this?" I said, "Well, yeah, of course I do." So. I started giving him, giving him the, these ideas and, the, and I'll never, I'll never forget it. I was in this little school in Shawnigan Lake and I was sitting down and he was, he was typing hundred miles an hour into a computer. And I said, Paul, what are you doing? He goes, you're going to Taiwan. I said, I'm going to go to Taiwan. You ever been to Asia before? Nope. Been anywhere before? Yeah. I mean, throughout the States and all over Canada and Europe and, but no, I've never been to Asia. Oh, you're going to love it. And I was like, okay. So the next thing you know, I'm on this plane and I'm on my way to Tai Taipei. And I spent a week and a half there. And these are the times we used to take a bus to go from Taipei, Kaohsiung, and Taichung, which now you can do in a, in a high-speed train, two hours. It was, it was a seven-hour bus ride sitting in this like old bus with these school representatives. Like, what's going on here? And so all of these people are getting to know each other. And they, they were recruiters. They were, they were admissions and marketing recruiters or international students. And the next thing you know, we started enrolling kids and the principal came back and said, you're good at this. You, you, you got to start moving over. And so they just started reassigning part of my role. So actually my, my second year, I was point half, half my time was in the classroom and the other half was director of admissions. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And so I just kept doing that. And then more and more time it went, as it went along, they were just kept moving me further into admissions work. And that's how I, that's how I moved myself into that, into that part. Yeah. I mean, if you were to look back for when you began that role, um, was it around um, 2009? What, what changes have you seen in the marketing landscape that you've noticed? Digital is the big one. I mean, you know, before we would run rack cards and ads and newspapers and, you know, all those good things. And, and, and we still might do some of that in, in this day, but we would, we would be looking at a larger sort of digital marketing campaign. And, um, and of course, every country um, is different. And they all, there's, there's, there's different platforms. So if you're trying to do marketing in, say, a place like Taiwan, you know, you're going to use something called Line. Uh, but if you're going to do it in China, you would use WeChat. And if you were going to do it in Vietnam, you'd use Viber. And then if you're going to do it in Victoria, you're going to do it completely different, right? So I think it's just that landscape has changed significantly as we've, as, as technologies, you know, evolved. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a big one. And it's, it's not just digital. I mean, it's, you've, you've mentioned kind of messaging apps, social apps, and they do, and particularly when you're recruiting internationally, have, having knowledge locally um, of what your end consumer is going to, to, to use. Um, do, do you think that becomes more difficult for an admissions person? Because there are so many different landscapes and platforms to use. 
how do you know really which one is going to be most effective or do you just go on every single one? Yeah, <laughs> no. well, they're all, they're all different based on the market. So you have to get local and, you know, intelligence really. So we use, um, for lack of a better word, we use brokers or agents, what we call them um, in different countries that give us different advice. Um, sometimes the Canadian government assists with that. Sometimes the provincial government has offices, trade rep offices in different countries who will give us that advice so that we can tailor our marketing efforts to look for our, our, our kind of families and, and students that are looking for what we offer. And then in terms of local, um, in terms of Victoria and Vancouver Island, again, you know, looking at it through a different lens of what's the best way to um, get the message out about what it is we're doing at the school and why that might be a good fit for, for those families and those, those kids. The last 15 months have been an extraordinary background um, to the whole world, but when it comes to marketing a school, you've had to pivot and, and, and change. Um, what, what have been some of the initiatives that you've, you've put in place since you've been there that have you know, adapted to this new normal of marketing a school? We continue to run the traditional, like locally, we continue to run a lot of the traditional uh, mediums that, that, that we've used. <laughs> One thing that we've done um, that I think is quite, quite bold um, and very interesting is we've, we're opening this September a small, what I would call a family style boarding program. So we're actually, we have our family boarding program, which is like a version of homestay, but we've actually partnered with um, one of our families um, here in Victoria, and we've purchased a 1912 uh, bed and breakfast. And we're converting that bed and breakfast right now into a small dormitory. And so it's, it's pretty different because here on Southern Vancouver Island, we're well known for boarding programs, large boarding schools. In fact, 33% of all the boarders in Canada are on Vancouver Island. So for a very small piece of property, you have a lot of boarders. And so I wanted to look at it a bit differently and say, okay, these, these boarding schools are doing it one way and I want to do it our way. And so what would that look like? And so we were able, because of COVID, because of COVID, we were able to go and work with our, one of our families, purchase this property, convert it, which is happening right now, and it opens this September. Um, and that'll be for students on Vancouver Island. We've got three students registered from Vancouver, and yet we've got kids from Vietnam, Hong Kong, Mexico, um, you name it, that are, that are coming into that, into that program in September. I suppose we're offering a boarding program when, well, obviously COVID hit and lockdown hit, um, particularly an international boarding program, that, that must have really impacted the school, in, not just in terms of enrolment, um, but just in terms of the community feel. How, what, what kind of provisions have you been putting in place to, to ensure that you can offer boarding if, this, if we happen to go into lockdown again? One of the things is that the school, our school is about 750 kids. And, um, and so 85, 88% of the school population is from Victoria. So it's local. And then that international piece, um, you know, it tends to float around that sort of, you know, 12, 13, up to a maximum of, of 15%. And so by bringing in different um, nationalities and bringing in that diversity, it really supports the IB program because international baccalaureate, it just makes sense, right? You know, you have to have um, that partnership. So we've been working really hard with the faculty and staff and the families as we brought in the family boarding program about seven, eight years ago in, in terms of bringing in wonderful diversity in, into the school. And now this small boarding program. So it's actually quite small. We have about 24 students. 
um, that'll that'll complement our family boarding program. And so it doesn't actually increase really the size of the of the international um, enrollment. It just keeps it fairly steady, and and it gives us the ability to accommodate kids from all over the world, but but also from here, you know, up up on the northern part of Vancouver Island, we are, we're surrounded by Gulf Islands here. Um, families that want to come and experience the GNS experience, they'll be able to do that. So uh, we put a, a lot of programs in place to figure out how uh, to continue to to support those those kids. In terms of COVID, um, we've been quite fortunate on Vancouver Island. We obviously have our plans and protocols in place, but we've been really lucky here. Um, and I, I mean, dare I say it, I'm looking for some wood to knock on, but we're, we're in the, in our group of, of private schools of independent schools in British Columbia, of which there are 27, there's seven of us left that have not had a positive COVID case. Um, so we actually haven't experienced it here, um, um, you know, at this, at this stage, and we've got uh, four days of school to go. So it's, it's my hope that we'll, we'll come out on the other side. Interestingly, the... I, I spoke in February 2020. It was actually my last international speaking gig before lockdown to all the schools at the Independent Schools Association of British Columbia in their annual conference in Vancouver. I was there. Um, yeah, when literally when it was all kicking off. And yeah, I, I, I brought my family out there. We then we so we spent it in Vancouver and then we went up to um, up to up to Whistler, did a bit of skiing. Um, but, you know, I, I was brought out there because I, I speak around the world on the future of education and that was it. So I, I was the kind of the keynote and I ran some workshops with all the heads and the leaders there um, around the future of education, the future school. Um, this obviously just before you you became a head. Um, I mean, what, what is your vision? What would be your vision for, for the future of education? No, knowing what you've known, experienced, but also, you know, you've joined a school with with direction. Um, I mean, what what are your thoughts? It's a it's a big topic, but education does need to change. Um, how do you think it needs to change? I mean, I think I think that some of the takeaways. You know, we're doing a a, a little retreat in July where we're going to bring the leadership team together to say what are the takeaways from COVID and what what are the things that you know we've learned to actually make the student experience better. And the parent experience better. I mean, there are there are good takeaways here, um, but I think the one thing is that individuality in terms of building specific programs for 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 kids is going to be really important as we as we march forward. But I think prior to COVID, there was this massive push for the online piece, and you know the whole world's going to go online, the, the academic program is going to go online, and schools like ours were going perhaps. But what about the sports and music and the arts and, and, and all that piece? How do you create community when it's online? But by pushing the school online, uh, this was a year ago, March, for those three months, what we learned is that while, while kids want choice and, and families want choice and some flexibility, they want in-person learning. That, that has come across so wonderfully. Um, and in fact, it has been a, it has been a wonderful part of COVID is, is learning from that, that bricks and mortar buildings and, and community and, and, and a place like this is gonna be more important than ever. So I think that's the first one is that we want that piece. I think the second piece will be now, how is that offered, right? And what kind of flexibility? So could you have an evening class? Could classes start at a different, a different, a different time? You know, could we, could we change programming? Um, I think all of those pieces we're gonna have to unpack. And then there's just gonna be this other massive part around mental health 
right? How is mental health actually put into the curriculum and how is it put into support kids as we work through it over time? And I think, I think IB um, really helps us with that. So it's, it's balancing, it's balancing how we, how we go forward because you're right. Like we, we talked about this the other day at the leadership team. So why do we have the whole two months off in the summer for July and August for the harvest? Well, I don't know about you, but my kids are in grade five and grade uh, seven, and there's no harvesting going on this summer. <laughs> so I, I just said, like, let's step back and look at this. Like, you know, should we have different breaks? Should we look at things differently? Is it better? Is it good for kids to learn and then have three months off? I don't think so. So <clears throat> what would be another way that we could blow the schedule up in the calendar and provide some level of flexibility for, for kids to get what they want um, and for families, but yet we, we look at it as a more global a, a calendar, as a more global perspective. Is that an initiative and conversation you're going to have with your, your, your other kind of independent schools in British Columbia? Is that a, a forum? I haven't heard that, but I, I can see schools doing different things. You know, there's a school in Vancouver that's going to start in August this year, you know, and, but only for their grade 11 and 12s. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I wonder how that would work for the other kids. I wonder how that would work for siblings. Um, you know, what are, the, what are the purposes and the reasons? You know, there's a, there's a school here in Vancouver Island um, that because of COVID and they're predominantly a boarding school, they didn't have their spring break. But so they're done on May 29th and now they're off for the summer. I wonder the takeaways from that, um, you know, is that something they would consider long-term or is that something that, you know, they go the opposite maybe to a shorter break? I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I think it'll push, it'll push education to think about things differently. And I truly hope we do. I actually hope we use this, this storm to, to come out of it in a more positive way because education does need changing. And, and, and the ideas you just you throw out there, I, I, th- I think they're brilliant ones to pursue. You know, change, you know, reviewing the long kind of holidays that, that, that kids have. Kids, kids still want to have social time. They want to be with their other friends. You know, the in-person learning, it comes out of humans. Uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter how much technology rages on, humans still need human interaction, communication, and we've got to understand behavior to be able to deliver really good education. To me, it will be a hybrid, a mix of it, because there will be some pick and mix stuff I can do online. You know, I may not actually have the best teaching from your particular teacher in a particular grade on a particular subject, but why, why can't I go and have access that maybe somewhere else I can get really inspired? But then I need to come to school and there'll be these, these, these great social spaces where you come together and build community. Totally. And I, and I think that's the, that is the best thing that's come from this is just understanding that that we can blow up the model a bit and look at it differently, but we want people here with us together learning. And if you have that community piece to it, there's so much that comes from the social side of it. I mean, I don't know about you, but when my kids were home for those three months learning online, that's hard. And without any of the other social pieces and the music and the art and the drama and all the wonderful things that make our schools fabulous, they were really missing that. My eldest son, he's 16, he, he, was, he was a drama major. So, you know, so, you know, for him, he could do it, but there's, it's not the same. It's, it really isn't the same. And I think the arts missed out. I think a lot of the other subjects could, could actually carry on fine. Um, I think there was a novelty, you know, 15 months ago when it started and it was, it, it was fine and we all enjoyed it. And then it became, I mean, we were just, I think everyone was worn down. And you mentioned mental health and I think mental health is critical. 
You know, if you, we want happiness, we want happy, confident children, we need to recognize that we have got a, a mental health crisis happening across the world because kids have been locked away. They're in front of their devices all the time. Parents have suffered. We probably haven't been given enough care to our kids anyway because we've been suffering ourselves. Um, and we almost see in schools that, that I think have done this really well, they've literally come back from the when they've been allowed back into school and said, look, we're, we're not carrying on with any academic, right? We're just going to get you right. We're going to go and do some great community building things. We're going to make sure you're absolutely ready because academic stuff is just knowledge base. And we, we can we can all get to that stage at some point. But right now, um, what are you doing? I mean, sort of mental health stuff. You mentioned it. Are you, are you got any other new initiatives that you're doing at, at school? Constantly, it is it's being looked at by the by the entire team. One one thing that we did this year is we're going to add um, another counselor um, to the organization to be more on the proactive side. You know, I think I think we you know from the triage piece, you know, we're, we're constantly working with kids and and families um, as we're working through it. But I I really wanted to see us move forward into a, to the proactive piece. What can we be doing with teachers in classrooms? What can we be doing in assembly? What can be happening with parent education? Um, there's a thirst for it. I mean, there, there's definitely, the, the parents are, are, are looking looking for um, leadership in this area. And I think the kids, um, you know, they're, they're often ahead of us, right? Like they're, they're, they're willing to talk. And so we want to make sure that we're providing, uh, you know, the venues and, and lots of support for them. So I did that. And I also, another interesting piece with COVID is um, I added a nurse, a full-time nurse to the school. And I just, I love it. Um, and I think it's so important. And as a day school, you know, predominantly a large day school, we would not have had that before. And so with COVID, I said, no, we, we need to have this because we don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, who knows about rapid testing? Who knows about the vaccine? Like, we don't know the answers to these, but having a professional on site, it seems to make sense. And so we brought her on and now she's staying on as part of our health team. And so just adding to that resource base to continue to, to put a significant focus on it. So I mean, we've got a lot more coming down the pipe, but that's a good start for us. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Your school motto is do your best with truth and courage. Do you think this is much harder for children to live into this, being bombarded 24-7 with social media, fake news, you know, and on the back of, um, of 15 months of, of, of COVID? We embed that in everything we do and just constantly working with the students to really understand what they're reading and challenge that to really under, you know, in my closing speech, even at the junior school and our junior school ceremonies, uh, we had to record it, unfortunately, this year. But one of the things that I say in to the speech to the grade fives is keep questioning, keep asking questions. And, and just because it's there doesn't mean it's the truth. Um, and remember that truth and courage in your, in everything that you, that you do. So I think we live it as a motto here. Like we live it as, and, and you can't just slap it up on the side of a wall and say, there it is. It doesn't work. It's that the, the teachers and the staff have to, well, first of all, they have to believe it. And then they have to find ways to continue to incorporate it. You know, I, I remember years ago in one of the schools, you know, it was, well, how do you do character? How do you do character? Well, we have a character class. I was like, really? That's that's interesting. 
How do you embed it though in the culture? So that for us, the truth and courage piece is, is embedded in, in what we do. And then, and then you see it fits nicely with IB uh, because there's an IB learner profile, which I, I know you're aware of, but that, that has to, that fits, it's a beautiful fit between um, the school and the IB program. You mentioned the, the IB, students study this all the way through their time with you. What benefits does this consistent approach have to your students? So when you have the primary years and then they move to the middle years and then to the diploma, um, we're one of the few schools in Canada that deliver all three of those. Um, the unique piece for us is that when they get to the senior school, like into the grades 11, 12 area, we offer the full diploma and then there's actually a hybrid um, which students can, can choose as well. So a little, a little bit of um, variety there. I think what's good about it is that it's the common language that works with kids all the way through. So it doesn't mean that a student can't join later and, and learn the terminology and understand what the IB learner profile is, but it's, it's nice to have the, the ability for students to sort of build on that. So it's, it's, a, it's a stepping stone, right? So as an example, you know, the kids in grade five, when they're working on a project. So my son, my son was in a group working on um, what they call exhibition. So they're working on a project together um, and figuring out how to work with each other and to, and to work on something that they're passionate about, that they want to work on. What's, what's nice about that is that they will carry that forward. And as they move into the middle school, they'll continue to use that experience and all that work that they've done. And it just continues to build and it just gets, just gets better and better. It's, it's a, you know, the, the middle years IB program is the fastest growing, um, one of the fastest growing educational programs in the world. Do you think that's, other schools or more schools in Canada will follow your lead in terms of the IB? And is this, is this something purely available to independent schools or does this go into the public side too? I think you will see more schools go into the IB landscape. And interestingly enough, here on Vancouver Island, um, we've actually just had a local public school uh, start the IB diploma program, which is great. So we're seeing um, we're seeing more uh, uh, more more kids get involved in that. We've got a, 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 a private school down the road from us that opened four years ago, and they're offering the IB program. And we have another school that just opened in Shawnigan Lake last year, uh, two years ago, which is about forty five minutes from Victoria, um, and they're offering IB. And I see an application in to another school about an. 30 minutes from us, which is a private school, and they've already advertised that they'll be offering IB. So I, I think you'll see more and more um, organizations doing it, which, which is great because it's a wonderful curriculum. It seems to be much more relevant and fitted to what our students need for the world in which they're going to go into, what employers want to make them more rounded. You know, the project-based um, approaches, I think it's brilliant, you know, where you're using cross-disciplines areas rather than going... You know, we're stuck here in the UK with with some very old fashioned um, qualifications, particularly around something called the GCSE, which is you take at the age of 16. Um, but most of it is just then redundant because you're just learning facts and that, that's no way to, to educate our children. You know, we need to get them creative problem solving, you know, this creative thinking. Um, so, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give to schools considering um, curriculum change to IB? I think the big one is, is the education piece with, with the parents and the teachers and the faculty and staff, right? Like, like understanding the philosophy because people, <laughs> people think that the, like sort of the, the junior kindergarten to grade 10, um, it's, 
that IB is, is a philosophy of education, right? The grade 11 and 12 program is an actual diploma program. So when you're, when you're teaching it all the way through, there's a, there's a massive education um, piece that schools need to understand and get educated on as they go through it. And, and, this, and the beautiful part is it's continuous improvement, continuous education for the teachers and, and, and for the staff. So the professional development opportunities and I'm really understanding the IB learner profile and all of those pieces. Yeah, it's, it's fabulous. As you say, right, it's critical thinking, inquiry-based. Um, it's everything that I, I think is going to help kids. It's not about getting into university. It's about how it's going to help you for life, right? It's, it's, it's all the way through, not just about a university acceptance. I want to talk about your parents because your parents get involved with day-to-day activities such as serving food in the lunch program. This obviously fosters a deeper connection within your community. Are there ever any complications when different parents have varying levels of availability for voluntary work? We put volunteer coordinators in each, each of those roles. So we're able to come up with a whole... Um, you know, just a variety of different opportunities for if parents can only volunteer in the evening, if they can volunteer, you know, in the mornings or at lunchtime. Um, we really see ourselves, and we really are a community-based school. So we want the parents involved as part of that partnership. So we we get a huge amount of parents that volunteer in the dining hall at lunch. Um, you know, I think they're there to, you know, check up and take a look around at their kids and see who they're hanging out with. And I think it's uh, a double stream there, but um, we certainly get that, get, get that piece, but, but they, they love being here. Um, and it's been one of the challenges with COVID is having the parents on campus. And I think they're really missing it. And the teachers are really missing it. The staff is really missing it because we're used to those fluid conversations with parents, not booking a time. I mean, certainly you can book a time, but having that opportunity to say, Hey, I just got a quick question or, you know, what does this look like? But it'd be quite normal on any given day to have, I don't know, tons of parents roaming around campus and being part of the community. But we, we work hard to find different avenues and different times to have our parents involved at whatever opportunity they can. I suppose there'll be a number of schools listening to this that it, it, it will feel very alien and odd going, well, we, we you know, I've, what, what, why would you bring parents in? Is it, is it, is it a cost-saving one or is it just it's a community piece that you've always had? And then how far would you stretch that? <laughs> how far would you, 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 because parents have a lot of skills and, you know, how far would you stretch their skills to, to, to be involved in the school? I think what, one of the things that people are so surprised about is that as an independent school, so as a not-for-profit um, school, they're amazed that the board is actually volunteers. And, and it was interesting. Um, we have a faculty association and they have a representative that sits on our finance committee and she's new this year. And I said, so what do you think? You know, and she said, holy, the expertise on that finance committee. It was a mind blower. And I said, well, yeah, well, that gentleman is the vice president of that company. And this person is an accountant in the CA and they run this company and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and if we had to pay for that as an organization or any organization, it's, it's crazy as opposed to getting that phone call saying, oh, hi, it's a school calling and we have a finance committee, we have a building committee, we have a governance committee as part of our board to keep our, you know, as part of our bylaws. Would you, would you consider volunteering, you know, as part of that? Absolutely. How can I help? You know, they, they want to be part of the committee and they, they, they want to help. But I think people will be blown away at the expertise of the, of the folks that are volunteering 
to be part of what makes the school work. And we have two boards here at GNS. We have a society board and we have a foundation board. Um, and so they all require volunteers. And we're talking hours and hours, like the chair of the boards. I, I don't even want to know. I don't know. It's, it's an insane amount of time that those, those um, folks put into the school. What is your, your most adventurous parent um, initiative that you've, you've run at GNS? Oh my goodness, adventurous parent initiative. Well, we have, we have a very fun, we, what we call the welcome back barbecue, which is quite an ordeal. But, but just before COVID, we went to them and said, let's run a carnival. And it was, oh, a carnival, that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, well, and we could, we could do it together. And so we put this massive carnival together where we had eight bouncy castles, but they weren't, they weren't like small bouncy castles. They were like professional, they were massive. And we covered the entire campus in these bouncy castles. And, you know, we thought, okay, how's this going to work for like the older kids? Are you kidding? They had the time of their lives. We had to, we had to like limit the number of students and everyone. We had to do it by grade because the kids were so into it. And, and in fact, now that we're in a better place for September, we've had this group of parents come back and say, can we bring back the carnival? I'm going, Oh goodness. Okay. Yeah, sure. So we're going to, we're working towards that uh, October 1st. We're going to, we're going to go back to it. I miss carnivals. I miss, we, we, we call them fairs or fates. Um, which is a very English thing here is a fate and it's, it's more of a kind of a, like a garden party, but yeah, a big, a big carnival, a big fair at school. I think we've all missed that. We've missed it here. You know, our, our sports days have been canceled and seen a lot of the big events have been canceled yeah, and we, and we just look forward to kind of getting together. So I think we're what once we're allowed to, I think schools are really going to open up, and you know, carnivals are going to be happening everywhere. <laughs> People are thirsty for this, right? Like, yeah, yeah we want to live again. We, I forgot what. Uh, yeah, even I want to go on the bouncy castle. You know, oh, I, yes. just, just just get rid of the kids. This is. I know, we're gonna have, to have a parent one. I had a parent later say, "Can I rent that from you later?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll be the parent prom, you know, at the back of the carnival. Exactly. Because um, the kids forget that we were kids once and we still want to act like children um, behind closed scenes. They often say that the head of a school is also the chief marketing officer. So having that experience that you've had must kind of supercharge your knowledge uh, to helping the school in terms of its image, living into its values. Um, do you agree that the, the head should be the CMO? I think it depends on the school. And, and maybe where they're at in terms of their, um, uh, you know, evolution in time. Uh, certainly my background having actually it's a bit of a three-pronged piece. So um, a background in marketing, admissions, and advancement. Um, and so I think having a knowledge base of those is going to be very, very important. Um, you know, 90% of the school's revenue comes from admissions. And so having the marketing piece and the admissions piece uh, for a healthy school, you need healthy enrollment. Um, that other percentage, depending on the school, of course, um, on the advancement side, on understanding philanthropy, crucial. Um, you know, when we look at, you know, we, we budget to break even, essentially, right, as a not-for-profit. So when we want to build a building or we want to advance the school in a program that's going to cost money outside of operations we have to we have to understand how that works 
And so certainly having that background for me, having that background in advancement, um, alumni relations, community relations um, is, is, has been really, really important. And it's certainly helped as we we're in a, we're in a $27 million uh, campaign right now um, here at the school. Uh, we just popped over the 18 million mark um, as our as we work our way towards 27 million. We've just completed a multi-million dollar expansion at our junior school, um, which has been uh, very well received by our parents, our community, but also the larger Victoria community. Um, so having a background in that, I think, has been certainly helped me um, on that on that side. I do think so, because it, it just gives you, you know, we always say that, uh, I think it was my father who said, you know, suddenly you've got, to, you've got to kind of go and work on the shop floor and you, you've got to try all the different roles to really understand an organisation. And, you know, you, you are talking to all those stakeholders, whether prospective families, whether they're current families, you've got a recruiting teachers, the retention piece, you've got the alumni, you've got, you've got all those stakeholders. So, so I think having had that experience, will absolutely you know, add real value to any head. And certainly for you in a new headship, I think um, GNS are very lucky um, that you have that experience. It's a whole community of people that work together to sort of, you know, we as we drive it forward, um, we're on track right now to have the highest enrollment in 24 years. And, you know, that's a whole community of people working together, you know, to, to march the school forward. I think for me, it's been wonderful to have that background understanding. You know, what what does an admissions what does an admissions person feel like in June? Not fun. <laughs> it's a lot of stress. But having that ability to walk over and say, you know, how are you doing? Like, you know, let's let's sit down and look at the plan. And you know, we're sitting with the marketing director because I've done that, and say, let's talk about you know the marketing strategy here and how things are shifting and changing and how we can work together on it. It's certainly been helpful. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.